Uh, to that end, I want you to turn with me to Psalms number 82. We are going to read a psalm that is one of my favorites in all the book of Psalms. There are a number of them that I enjoy reading over and over, and this is one of them. And years ago, God showed me something from this psalm, and I've preached about this before, but it's been a long, long time. And as I prepared for my time back in the U.S., of which this would be now the third weekend service after our return, we stopped in Hawaii, we ministered to a church there, we were in a Vietnamese church last Sunday in Los Angeles, the pastor is Vietnamese, he's interpreting for me, and this would be the third uh, service since we just left the continent of Asia and the country of the Philippines. As I've been praying about uh, where I should go with the word during this uh, homestand, shall we say, he led me back to Psalms number 82. And I'm going to read the whole thing because it's not long. It's only eight verses. But we're going to go back and look at what we're reading and uh, find out more about how this applies to us today. You and me and everybody in the body of Christ, okay? Now, I'm reading from the New King James Version. That's my translation of choice. All right, this would be Psalms number 82, verse 1. It says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Verse 2, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and to the needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They don't know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. Verse 6, I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, and judge the earth for you shall inherit all nations. At the end, you know, verse 8 talks about the fact that no matter what's going on down here at the end, God is going to come. He's going to straighten things out, fix everything, and he will inherit all nations. That should be very encouraging for us. No matter what we see going on all around us, at the end, we win. Now, before we get to verse 8, there are things taking place on the planet that we need to be aware of, especially... In these last of the last of the last days, we are at the end of the age of grace, what the Bible calls the dispensation of grace. We're at the end of that age. We're about to move into the seven-year tribulation. We're about to move back into Jewish time. If you understand end-time prophecies and end-time teachings, we are at the end of what the Bible calls the age of grace. Jesus could return at any time. So, because of that, there are signs that indicate his return is very close. And we've talked about these things before. And I'm sure you've heard them from your pastor and from others that you may be following out there in cyberspace or the Internet or whatever. Now, the first thing we need to understand is that God stands in a particular congregation according to verse 1. All right. Now, we in the world, the body of Christ, okay, the body of Christ is a multinational, multicultural organism. The body of Christ comprised of or is made up of saints from all over the world. Countries, cultures, races, creeds, nationalities, everything. If you're saved and you're on earth, you're a member of the body of Christ. Okay? Now, I want to point out to you that the body of Christ is not the same as the family of God. All right? If you read and study the scriptures, the family of God 
is all the saints in heaven and on earth. Okay? That's the family of God. There are believers in heaven right now. They have lived their lives. They've died physically. And they've gone home to heaven. They are in heaven. They are not on the earth. The body of Christ is the portion of the family of God still on the earth. That's us. We're still here. We're still running our race. We're still, uh, you know, engaging the enemy on the battlefield, which is planet earth. Okay. All of that is still going on. The people in heaven are not doing any of this anymore. They've been taken off the court, shall we say. They've been taken off the battlefield. They're no longer players. Now they are spectators. That is the family of God in heaven and earth. The body of Christ is us. We are the body. Okay. Now, inside the body of Christ, there are many organizations, denominations, and groups. Some of them are Pentecostal. Some of them are evangelical. Some of them are, you know, different, you know, depending upon their theology. And that's another story for another time. But there's all different kinds of groups out there, all claiming to be the ones who represent Jesus the most accurately. Okay. Now, that, that, that being the case, you probably drove past... 12 churches to get here today. No matter where you came from, I would be willing to bet money that you passed 12 churches or uh, a good number of churches to get here to this church. They're all over the place. We've got the Methodists, the Lutherans, the Baptists, the Pentecostals, the Word of Faith people. We've got the, you know, all the cults. They're out there too. The point is, there's a lot of different churches with a lot of different names on the signboard out at the street. But... God, from his perspective, is only standing, according to this verse and according to this psalm, he's only standing in the midst of one particular group of people, not a particular denomination, not a particular organization, not a particular theological group. It says he stands in the congregation of the mighty. He doesn't stand in the congregation of Pentecostals, word of faith people, evangelicals, um, whatever. You know, the things we fight over, the battles we rage down here, you know, churches against churches and all of this. God is not involved in any of this. He stands in one particular group, one particular congregation called the congregation of the mighty. That's the one he stands in the midst of. This is the one he communes with. These are the people he talks to. These are the ones who get the revelations and the prophecies and have the anointings to change nations, change cities, change states, or wherever they go. They turn their world upside down. These are the people that he works with. These are the people he talks to. And in most cases inside the body of Christ, this would be the people down here working for Jesus on the earth. Okay? Very few of the members of the body of Christ are members of this congregation. Very few of them. Okay? I would like to think that I do what I need to do, as Pastor mentioned, to keep my sword as sharp as it needs to be, to become a member of this particular congregation and remain a member in good standing for the rest of my days on earth. So that when I leave this planet and go home to heaven, I have a good report to share with Jesus about the life I lived. Can anyone say amen? You know, there are no do-overs down here, honey. You go, you, ground, you go around once, and then you are gone, and you have to answer for the life you lived. This, to me, is an amazing fact that escapes most Christians. You can understand it from the unbeliever's perspective because they're idiots, and they don't know anything. They don't know Jesus, so they have no reference point. 
But inside the body of Christ, you would expect more people to know these things, but you don't find this everywhere you go. In fact, you don't find it very often at all. Okay, people are members of congregations, but they're not members of the congregation of the mighty. And that's the difference between the people who do things for God and the people who just stand around criticizing the people who do things for God. And that group is a lot larger than the other one. So it says, how long will you judge unjustly? First of all, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Please look at this in your Bible. He judges among the gods. Now notice, gods is plural. G-O-D-S. So we are not talking about the Trinity. We're not talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's one God manifest in three persons. We're not talking about Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. So don't get confused here. All right? He judges among the gods. Notice it's small g. It's not capital G. Okay? We're not talking about Trinity divinity, God the Father, God the Son, or Holy Spirit. But then who are we talking about? If it says he judges among these people who are members of this congregation, who might these people be? Look at verse number 6. God tells us who they are. Verse 6. I said, now the I there is God. God's talking. And he's being quoted by the psalmist. I said, you are God's. G-O-D-S, small g. Notice, and just in case the reader doesn't quite know who God's talking about, he defines them in the very next sentence. He says, and all of you, meaning you, the gods, G-O-D-S, small g, all of you are what? Children of who? The Most High. How many here are born again? Then you are a child of the Most High. And if you are a child of the Most High, he calls you a G-O-D-S. That's how he sees you. Now, that's may not, that may not be how you see yourself. In fact, that's usually the case. And that's not the way most Christians see each other. But that is the way God sees us. And if you read from John chapter 10, Jesus quoted this psalm and these verses to the Pharisees and the critics of his ministry who were complaining that he's roaming around committing the sin of blasphemy because he's claiming to be the son of God. And they said, who are you? You're not the son of God. That's blasphemy. And he said, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. Go back and read it. John chapter 10. He used this psalm to defend his miracle ministry. He quoted right from this psalm. He quoted these same verses to the Jews. He said, isn't it written in your law? I said, you are God's. He said, if you don't believe the messages I share, look at the miracles. Where do you see miracles like this? Blind eyes open everywhere you go. The the gospel of John said at the last of his book chapter 21 he said if we tried to chronicle all the miracles that jesus did in three and a half years the books of the world could not contain them all so the ones we do read about is just a small fraction of what he actually did down here in terms of miracles signs wonders and mighty deeds the things that build churches listen miracles create testimonies and testimonies build churches not messages, not personalities, not smoke fog machines and latte machines in the lobby. You know what builds churches? Miracles. Change lives. Can anyone say amen? amen? Yeah. We've tried every gadget we can think of to try to get people into our churches. Listen, if you have to entertain them to get them, you'll have to entertain them to keep them. 
We don't entertain. We are not entertainers. We are proclaimers. We proclaim the truth and let the chips fall where they may. Well, I don't believe that. Well, go to hell. Because that's where you're going to go. There, you're going to go up or you're going to go down. And if I love you with the love of the Lord, I will tell you straight up that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to lose. And you have to do certain things to go to one and not the other. And that's it. There is no discussion. There is no debate. And there is no, you know, other way. He said, Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way of many ways. All right. Verse number two, three, four. And five, those talk about the ministry for the members of the congregation of the mighty. Listen to this. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? See, that's how it looks out there. God is judging unjustly. Where's our God? Look at all the evil in the world. Look at all the babies born that are crippled. Look at all the suffering. Where is this God of love that you talk about? Where is he? And, and to the minds of many people, he's very unjust. He doesn't, he doesn't care. You know, I prayed and my my aunt died of cancer. Where's my God here? You know, all the stuff you hear. Okay, this bitterness that roams around out there. You know, if God's so much a God of love, why did my auntie die? Why did my wife get killed in a car crash? Why, why, why the tragedy? Why the disasters? Why the hurricanes and all of this? Hmm? Why, you know, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? You know, how, how is it the people are rich and they're not serving God? And I'm trying my best to serve God and I'm living in a mobile home. What's the deal? Okay. Then verse three, defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and to the needy. The way you do justice to the afflicted and to the needy is to talk to them about Jesus. Do justice to them. Tell them the truth. Deliver the poor and the needy. How do you do that? You lead them to Jesus. You deliver them. You're not the deliverer, but you take him, you take them to the one who can deliver. Deliver them, deliver the poor and the needy, free them from the hand of the wicked. We know who the wicked would be. That would be Satan and all of his demons and they who do his bidding. Okay. And then verse five, this is the way the world is right now, friends. They do not know. They do not understand. They walk around in darkness. That is the world in which we live. They don't know what's going on. They don't have understanding, and they're walking around in the dark. They think they know what they're doing, when in reality they know nothing. They're just, you know, they're spiritually dead. They're dead as a doornail. Their, their soul is dark as coal, black as coal, and they're going to hell. But they think they're so smart. They think they're so enlightened, and they're not. Okay, they walk about in darkness, it says. They walk around in darkness. They don't know. They don't understand. They're going to hell if they don't accept Jesus. They don't understand it. They, don't, they, don't, they can't conceive of it. Again, unbelievers, you can understand it from a certain perspective because they haven't been taught. But you've got people inside the body of Christ who just don't care. They're all wrapped up with their own little world and their own little list of problems. Okay, you've got to think beyond you. If you're going, if you, if your life is going to matter, think beyond yourself. Because if you don't, you'll just be consumed with your little world and your little family and your little pocketbook and your little passbook and your little savings account and your little five hundred one c three whatever investment fund and portfolio. And at the end of the day, when you die and go to heaven, what are you going to have to show for your life? I said. You are gods and all of you are children of the most high. But verse seven, you shall die like men. Man, that is an indictment. 
all the potential out there in the body of Christ going to waste because people don't make it a priority in their life to become a member of this particular congregation, the congregation of the mighty. They would just rather just sit in church. Don't bother me. Just let me be comfortable. Don't, don't challenge me. Don't push me. Don't, don't, you know, don't move me into an area where I'm not, where, where the results are not predictable. I don't want to live by faith. I want to know what's going on. Listen, the life that is the most exciting is the life that you live by faith because it is a life of faith. Because you can't predict everything. You can't chart everything out five years from now, the 10-year plan and all of these things that the investors talk about. You don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now. Amen? You don't know what's going to happen five years from now. Well, I mean, we have a general outline here from the Bible, but at the end of the day, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. He's not going to send us a tweet letting us know he's coming at 3 this afternoon. Get your house in order. I mean, you can't. no, 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 no. The Bible says when he comes back... It's, it's called an atomic second in the Bible, okay? In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The twinkling of an eye is a phrase in the Greek that means the batting of an eye. The, the, the time it takes you to bat your eyes once, we are out of here. You're not going to have any time to get your act together. You better have it together before the twinkling of the eye takes place. Okay, I want to make sure my life is right. I want to make sure my sword is sharp. I want to make sure I am found with faith when he comes back. He makes these statements in the Bible. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? I'd like to think that when he finds me, he'll find somebody with faith operating on the earth. How about you? Anybody interested? Or is it just me? Can I hear an amen? All right. So this is where we want to go. This is the life we want to live. This is the congregation we want to be a part of. We're not talking about Harvest Church, Assemblies of God. New Life Christian Fellowship, you know, Faith Christian this and Faith that and all these other nice, fancy-sounding names out on the signboard. The, the greatest one, the best one I ever heard, I mean, you know, pastors can get quite creative with the names they choose to name their churches. They're all just as, imp- as impressive as they hope it will be, you know, open door. I mean, I've heard them all, man. But the one that takes the cake, the one that is the trophy winner of all time, this was a Filipino church. This Filipino pastor, he actually named his church. And I'm not lying, this is truth. He said, I'm going to name my church, Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus Fellowship. Yep. Welcome to Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus Fellowship today. Praise the Lord. Are there any first-time demons here? Ushers are in the aisles with membership cards, buckets, that you can throw up and leave, whatever. Yeah, Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus. Whatever. The point is, God doesn't care. It's the congregation of the mighty he stands in the midst of. If you want a life that means something, that's worth something to God, move beyond you and start moving into a congregation that is concentrating on outreach to others. And you're going to find your lane and run your race, and there'll be a sense of purpose about you that you will not find anywhere else else. You're not going to find it in education. You're not going to find it with the career you're pursuing. You're not going to find it with the boatload of cash you got in the bank. You're only going to find it when you find your purpose inside this particular congregation. That's it. Okay. He's only one. He said, I stand in a particular congregation, not many different ones. This one. Okay. I don't want to die like a man. I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to be somebody special, somebody different. Amen. You know, in the United States Armed Forces, there are special forces, okay? 
I want to be a member of the special forces, not just rank and file soldiers. You know, anybody can put on a uniform with a single stripe on their arm, but the people that have medals on their chest that have been to war and back and can talk about it, I'll listen to those people. That The guy that just got drafted last week, they issue him all the weaponry and all the armor and all the ammunition and all the uniforms, but they've not been tested. I want to talk to the guy that's been tested. He's earned his promotion. He's earned the medals on his chest, okay? He's been shot at and lived to tell the tale. Those are the guys I want to learn from. Amen? Churches are full of people with uniforms on, but they've never been tested because they won't engage the enemy. They won't get out there and risk anything. You've got to risk something for Jesus. If you don't do that, you'll never know how good you can be. Oh, this is good preaching. I mean, if you don't risk something, if you don't step out of your comfort zone, you'll never know how good you can be, okay? Uh, you know, my wife here, the, the classic example that I use over and over because it works. It's so good. It's so right. I met her in the Philippines. I didn't meet her at Rama. I didn't meet her at some Assembly of God church down the road during their, you know, summer youth outreach with pizza and bags of chips and all of this, and they call that outreach. No, no, no. I met her overseas after I made a decision to with 20 bucks in my pocket, fly with one-way tickets to the Philippines and no way back because I had no money to buy a round-trip ticket and no guarantee I'd ever be back to the U.S., and that's where I met her. And she's the greatest gift to me outside of Jesus that God has ever given to me. Amen. Perfectly suited to stand by my side and work with me all these 34 years now. 34 years and counting. And take a look at her. She's looking better now than she's ever looked before, praise the Lord. I look in the mirror sometimes and wonder, why are you with me? But the point is, she is, so praise the Lord for that. Anyway, the point being, God will give you things you never thought you'd be deserving of, you never thought you'd have, you'd go places you never thought you'd go, you'll meet people you never thought you'd meet. If you decide, you know what, I'm going to be a member of this particular congregation, I don't care who likes it and who doesn't, I'm going to go for the gold. Amen. Or if you don't don't want to, just sit there and be like everybody else. Put on your uniform with your single stripe on your arm and just blend back in. But I want to be a boat rocker and a wave maker and a shaker and a mover. How about you? I don't want to be somebody who counts for something. I want my life to count for something. Not just something down here. Okay, trophies and medals and pennants and all of that stuff. When we go to heaven, none of that counts. Nobody cares up there. Okay, so membership in the congregation. You know, churches have membership drives. They have membership classes. They have all these things down here. God has certain requirements for this particular congregation too. And so we're going to talk about these today. Now, if I'm talking to the choir, good for you. If you've heard this before, it's good to hear it again. Okay, if you've never heard this before, perk up and pay attention. Okay, because I'm going to give you the prerequisites for membership in this congregation, how you get there and how you stay there for the rest of your life. You know, people can fall out of fellowship, too. They can become members of churches and then fall away. And people can become members of the congregation of the mighty and fall away later. I don't plan for that to happen in my life either. I want to keep my sword sharp from now until when Jesus returns. How about you? All right. You know, listen, there is enough potential in this room right now to turn Nebraska upside down for God. You don't have to go any farther than what we have right here, right now. Paul took 12 men and turned Asia Minor upside down in two years and didn't have all the technical gizmos and gadgets we've got at our disposal. Just hand to mouth, mouth to mouth, 
face-to-face preaching two years. He covered Asia Minor starting with 12 men. If he can do things like that, what can we do around the world with the Internet and Facebook and social media and all of this at our disposal? Amen? Praise the Lord. Instead of putting out those tweets about, I lost my cat. Can anybody help me find her? You know, God knows where the cat is. Just do what you need to do for Jesus, and the cat will come on back. Praise the Lord. All right. Seven prerequisites for becoming a member of the Congregation of the Mighty. All right. Seven prerequisites. We're going to cover these quickly uh, today and tonight. We don't. You know, each of these is a message by itself. You could spend hours on each of these. More than that, really. But we're not going to do that. We're going to just give you the, the bare-bones skeleton of the outline and let the Holy Spirit flesh it out for you. So we'll do a, list, a little of this this morning, and we'll conclude with this tonight, okay, because we've got two services. But what I wanted to start with today is the foundation and the platform of this awareness that there is a congregation out there that I can become a member of. The invitation is open to every Christian. There are no prerequisites other than your decision to be a member. Okay, you don't have to go to somebody's Bible school for this. You know, you can live at the top of the mountain with a broken guitar and be a member of this congregation. Just decide, I'm going to join up. And God will say, come on in. Okay, the door is open. It's an invitation for every believer on the body, on the earth, in the body of Christ. Now, the people in heaven, they can't join up. They're gone. They're off the planet. Okay, they're off planet. They're off the battlefield. They can't become a member of this congregation because this deals with the body of Christ and the war we're facing each and every day for the Lord Jesus. So, the first of the seven, and we'll move along, you know, we'll cover probably two of these this morning, two or three and the rest later. First of all, it's all dealing with management of things. Management of things, okay? You have to be a manager of things to be a member of this particular congregation. So number one, the first of the seven, is to manage your emotions. We are not robots. We have feelings. We can be happy. We can be sad. We can be excited. We can be depressed. We can be, you know, morose, melancholic. We can be whatever we want to be. We, emotionally, we can, we can run the gamut from high to low. We can have good days, bad days. We can feel wonderful. We can feel terrible. We can feel like the Lord's right with me. We can feel like he's a million miles away. It varies. It's a roller coaster. We understand this. God made us in his image and in his likeness. So we have the capacity to, to feel, to have an emotional uh, whatever, you know, surge or an emotional direction or emotions in general. We have to manage them. And when we talk about managing these things from the perspective of the congregation of the mighty, we need to be passionate for the things of God. Not just aware of them, not just tolerating them, but to be passionate about them. To move beyond just this Sunday morning acceptance of Christianity, but to move to a place where we live and breathe and die Jesus. It's Jesus in the morning, Jesus noontime, Jesus supper time. We can't get enough of Jesus because he is our life. He is the sword. He's everything. He, you know, in, in, you know the Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. And my life revolves around him and him alone. That's not the way most Christians live their life, as you may know. Okay. It's all about them and their little world and what's going on on earth down here and what I can accumulate, what I can save and what I can buy and what I can have and all this. Well, all that's going away when you depart your fleshly body and they bury it and you go to heaven. None of that goes with you. Did you know that? 
You can't take your, your investment portfolio with you. Can't take your car with you. Can't take your house. Can't take anything but the record of the life you lived and the length of the line of the souls behind you. That's all you take with you. And your life will be judged based upon that criteria and nothing else. Okay? You can be poor down here and be rich as far as God is concerned. Did you know this? You can be as poor as the next pauper on, you know, uh, down at the bus station. But if you're rich for Jesus and you're doing your best for him, you are rich in his eyes, even if you're poor in the eyes of the world. It's a completely different standard set of standards as far as God is concerned. Be passionate for God. Do not be lukewarm. Churches are full of lukewarm people. Okay? Lukewarm Christian fellowship. That's what they ought to have out on the signboard. Lukewarm Christian fellowship. Lukewarm outreach. Come in. Everybody's welcome. Come on and be comfortable. Come on in. Be comfortable. We won't challenge you. We won't stretch you. We won't push you. We'll just let you sit there and be comfortable. And as long as you're comfortable, you can stay. But if you want to, you know, ruffle our feathers, then we want you to leave. If you want to preach messages like this, you're not welcome here. See, it's the lukewarm Christian fellowship. Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. God has a message for that particular group. Okay, Revelation chapter number 3, verse number 16. Ah. Revelation 3.16. So then, this is Jesus speaking. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, that doesn't sound very appealing. Does it sound any appealing to you? I mean, I don't want Jesus to spit me out of his mouth just so, you know, so uh, upset with the life I lived and so offended he is at the way I, you know, manage my life of compromise and mediocrity and, you know, so working so hard not to offend anybody and have him spit me out of his mouth. I don't, I don't need any of that. I don't want any of that. When I stand before the Lord, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? That's what I want to hear. How about you? Would you like to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Good job. You, you did something for me. I'm proud of you. That's what I want to hear, and I hope that's what you want to hear too. But for many Christians, this is what they're going to hear. Okay? Why did you never wake up? Why were you lukewarm all the days of your Christian life? What happened to you? Well, where'd you go? Well, I was, you know, Lord, I was just afraid of offending people, or I was just so nervous about talking to people about Jesus. I never did. You know, and Jesus will say, well, okay, fine. Step aside, everybody, because I'm about to spit this person out of my mouth. That's what he just said. I will vomit you. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to happen to you. Notice, if you're lukewarm, this is what will happen to you. But he says, I would prefer that you're either cold or hot. Notice, he would prefer cold rather than lukewarm. You know, basically, he says, commit to something. You want to sin? Then go sin. Go all the way. Don't come in in church on Sunday and act like you're Christian and go live like the devil for the rest of the week and come back into church. Don't do that. You want to live for the devil? Live for the devil. Be cold. I'd prefer that over lukewarm is what he's saying. See, we have to come to a place where we understand this stuff because this is what's going to happen to people when they stand before the Lord. Okay, we're so afraid of offending people down here. We end up living a life offensive to God. We can't do that anymore. Time is running out. He stands in a particular congregation, the mighty ones, and we don't flat care about public opinion. Jesus didn't. 
Okay. One time the disciples came to Jesus and said, don't, don't you know, Jesus, your messages are offending the Pharisees. And he said, leave them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. They'll both fall into a ditch. You follow me. Never mind what they say about us. Never mind what they do. Just follow me. Amen? It's called attitude adjustment. It's called waking up. Okay? Manage your emotions. Okay? Don't be just this Christian robot that shows up at church on Sunday morning, sings a few songs, looks out the window, looks at their watch, you know, sending tweets and text messages during the service. Never mind all that. Be somebody who's engaged. Be somebody who's a player, not just a spectator. Amen? Do something. Do something to help. Praise God. Manage your emotions. I don't want to be spit out of the mouth of Jesus because of my lukewarmness. I want to be someone who's white hot for the Lord. You know, and if people don't like me, that's their funeral, not mine. If they don't want a fellowship with me, that's their funeral, not mine. Okay? I'm going to stand before the Lord someday, and so will you, and I want to be able to give him a good account for the life that I have lived. Okay? Some examples of this, quickly. Okay? Josiah. 2 Kings chapter 23. We might read about him in just a few minutes, but I'll just give you some references. King Josiah, a young, a young boy when he got uh, to the throne, when he, was, when he ascended to the throne. He was about eight, four years old, I believe. He was appointed king, and if I remember, about eight years old, he began seeking the Lord. Eight years old. That was King Josiah. Then there was David, okay? David, the man after God's own heart. Made plenty of mistakes, you know, guilty of the sin of murder and adultery prior to the murder of the man of the woman's husband that he committed adultery with. That's pretty low. But the Bible says he was still a man after God's own heart because he was passionate for the things of God. This is what God's looking for. Okay? He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for passion. Passion's more important than perfection. You'll never be perfect. You'll never be perfect. I'll never be perfect. We all make mistakes. We all commit sins. We all come up short, all of us. But there's the mercy of the Lord that's new every morning. What he looks for is the passion to keep moving forward, even though we've been hit and wounded and damaged by the sins we've committed or the vows we've broken or whatever else may be contrary to the word of God. Somebody say amen. amen. I get about ready to run around the parking lot. Then there's Jesus. Remember the, the gentle shepherd? You know, the gentle shepherd went into the temple and made a whip. Did you read that in John chapter 2? Made a whip of cords. He didn't go in there with the whip. He went in there just, I don't know what he went in there to do, look around. You know, he, the Bible says he looked around at all things and got angry at what he saw. And so without, before he left the temple, he turns and goes off in the corner and finds some string. I don't know how he made it, but he made a whip. And the disciples, you know, the clueless crew, they're just standing there. What's he doing? Peter, you know, nudges John. What's he doing? I said, John, you know, I don't know. Looks like he's making a whip. What's he going to do with that? Don't know. Well, then he turned around with the whip, and they found out what he's going to do with it. He starts swinging that thing through the temple, you know, driving out the people. He didn't ask them to leave politely. He didn't say, would all of you please make single file lines and move to all the exits, please? Ushers, line them up carefully, please. Let's not, we have a wheelchair line over here. You know, the handicapped people center aisle, you can go first. Group one, group two, group three, group four, move quietly and quickly to the exits. That's not what happened, man. He started swinging that whip and driving people out of the temple. This was chaos. 
Have you ever been around somebody swinging a bullwhip? I have. You give that person a wide berth. You stay away from that particular person. Okay, because he knows what he's got in his hand and you do, too. And he knows how to use it. And Jesus took a whip of cords and drove people out of the temple, turned over the tables, opened up all the cages, let the doves go, scattered the money all over the temple, said, get out of here. Get out of my father's house. What do you people think you're doing here? This is supposed to be a house of prayer, not a house of merchandise. Get out of here and drove them out. Listen, if your pastor came to church with a bullwhip next Sunday and drove everybody into the parking lot, that would be a service you'd never forget. What was the message? I don't remember. I remember just Pastor Mike went berserk with the bullwhip and took us and drove us all out into the temple shouting, repent, repent, repent. I'm feeling led to go to another church. How about you? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's Jesus. And then there's Paul. You know, I mean, they tried to kill him. They did kill him many times. Go read the book of Second Corinthians. They killed him many times. He kept popping back up. He wouldn't just stay down. Point is, you've got to be passionate for God. You can't be some wuss out there, some spiritual pansy that caves in every time, you know, you read a news report on TV about, you know, someone, you know, stepping on your hamburger at McDonald's because they didn't like the track you handed to them. You know, listen, we get these kind of emails from people who sign up for the trips to the Philippines and then they listen, listen to one bad news report or, you know, one person got shot and killed, you know, 50 miles from the compound and then they don't want to come anymore. How sad. You know, we had several of them this summer that because of all the war and all the fighting and all the news coverage, they backed out. And you know what? They lost out on the winning of 4,800 souls. So what do you got to show for it now? What are you going to do when you stand before the Lord and say, yeah, I bailed Jesus because I was afraid I'd be killed just like all the rebels over there. Jesus will say, yeah, well, you know what? I was prepared to protect you. If you read my Bible and actually believed it, I was prepared to protect you wherever you went. And you lost out on 4,800 souls that are not going to be accredited to your account forever. Be warm, be filled, and be gone. I don't want that to happen to me any more than I'd like that to happen to you. Manage your emotions. Get passionate for God. Okay, well, my friends won't like it. Well, lose your friends. If you're single, by the way. Maybe there are single people here. Don't be hanging around with people not as committed to God as you. You, Just like what Pastor said, you want to be sharp, you want to find the right kind of person, find somebody who's more turned on to God than you. And if they're not, dump them. There's my counsel for you. Love them and dump them and move on and find somebody who's turned on to Jesus, someone who can draw you closer to the Lord. Because one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. Amen. My wife draws me closer to the Lord. She's got things in her life that help my sword stay as sharp as it can possibly be. I don't want to live with someone. I don't want to be around people who don't who drive me away from the Lord. I want to be around people who drive me, draw me closer to him. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Manage your emotions. Okay. All right. That's number one. Number two, you know, each of these we could spend hours and hours. But anyway. This one's very important. Manage your weaknesses. Everybody has them. I have them. You have them. Everybody has them. That's why the Bible says you can't judge your fellow believers because what they struggle with might not be what you struggle with, but what you struggle with might not be what they struggle with. 
Okay, That's why you can't judge your brother. Only God can do that. We, in the Bible, are commanded to judge things. We judge doctrine. We judge lifestyle. We judge things. But you can't judge people. Only God can do that because only God can see into the heart. You can't see into the heart. Only God can see into a person's heart. So you can't judge the person. But if they're living a sinful life, you can judge the sinful life they live and step away. If they're teaching false doctrine, you can judge the doctrine they teach and step away. You can do that. You're commanded to do that. But in terms of judging their heart, you can't do that because you're not qualified. I'm not qualified. We can't see into a person's heart. Only God can. Okay? But the point is, everybody has weaknesses. What I struggle with in my life might not be a problem for you. And what you struggle with might not be a problem for me. See, I'll give you an example. A lot of people struggle with the idea of sharing their faith publicly. They really have a problem with it. I cannot tell you how many people go on these mission tours of ours and at the end walk up to me or they write, you know, a journal entry or something like this. And they'll say, I was so terrified of talking in public. I was so terrified of getting up in front of people and talking about Jesus. But this tour has helped me overcome that fear. And now I'm, 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 I'm free to witness and talk to people about Jesus. I hear that all the time. Well, see, that's an issue for them. That's not an issue for me, as you may discern. Okay, I don't have a problem with that, okay? That, but that, that doesn't mean I don't have problems. It just might mean my problems are different than yours. The point is, whatever they are, you have to identify them and address them as the high places they are and pull them down. You cannot let them just remain. You have to identify them and go after them to eliminate them because as long as they remain, Satan will continue to hammer away at you in those perceived areas of vulnerability because he knows these are inherent areas of weakness in your life. Okay? If you have a short temper and you can't control it, Satan will make sure he leads every carnal Christian he knows across your path daily. Just to aggravate you, okay? If he knows he, you have a short temper. I mean, you know, this is just where people live, okay? If you have a short temper on the highway, you'll get behind every, you know, farmer John that's on his way to the field with the tractor and the hoe and everything else, and you're trying to be somewhere, okay, and can't get around the guy, so you're huffing and puffing in your car, losing it in the name of Jesus. And the farmer doesn't care. He's happy. He's just growing, growing along the highway 10 miles an hour, you know, on his way to the field to do whatever he needs to do. You're behind him losing it. You know, the blood pressure's up over, you know, 1,000 over 1,000 or whatever it may be. And, you know, you're, you're the one that's the loser. And the devil knows it. He knows you can't control your temper. He knows you can't control your blood pressure. So he'll make sure that people are introduced into your life who do those things in his name. Can anyone say Amen. Eliminate the high places. Attack them and pull them down. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Thank you, Jesus. Chapter 10, 2 Corinthians. Uh, verse number 3. 10th chapter, 3rd verse. Very, very powerful passage here. Second Corinthians 10, three, here's what it says. For though we walk in the flesh, that's us. We're walking in the flesh. We live in a flesh and blood body. Okay. We do not war according to the flesh. So we are in a flesh and blood body, but we are at war. You tell most Christians this, they stare at you like you just got off the bus from Mars. 
What do you mean war? We're not at war. Yeah, we are. We're at war. Okay? Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For, verse number four, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not weapons that you can handle, weapons that you can hold in your hand, you know, rifles and pistols and bows and arrows and all of whatever. No, no, no. These are not carnal weapons, but they are mighty. Notice the word mighty. Mighty in God for pulling down what? Strongholds. Pulling down strongholds. Listen. All right, I'll, I'll get to the point in just a minute. Verse 5. Casting down arguments, or you could word, use the word debates. Casting down arguments or debates, and every high thing. Notice the words high thing. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Hmm. So I'm told to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So the battlefield for this war is in the mind. It's a mental battle before it's a battle for anything else or of anything else. It's a battle of the mind. The battles are won and lost up here, not out here somewhere. Okay? They're won and lost up here. So the Bible says, take every thought captive. So if you have a thought that you recognize as not being scriptural, you have a responsibility to cast it down, to pull it down, and to bring it captive. How do you bring it captive? You speak to it. Okay? Spoken words captivate thoughts. You have a thought that is uh, wrong, speak to it out loud. If you're with company and mixed company, go somewhere where you can talk out loud without disturbing people. Excuse yourself from the room for a few minutes if you need to and deal with the thought. You say, I'm not thinking that. that no, I reject that thought in Jesus' name. You will, not, you will not have a place in my mind. See, what the devil's trying to do, here's the point. He wants to create a foothold in your mind. Because the foothold, if you don't cast down the thought, if you don't take the thought captive, the foothold becomes a stronghold. He wants it to become a stronghold. If it becomes a stronghold, it's a lot tougher to get rid of it. Hmm? He doesn't, you know, he wants you to just let it sit there so that the foothold becomes a stronghold. You keep entertaining the thoughts that become a stronghold and then trying to get rid of it is much, much harder than when it's just a foothold. If you identify something right off the bat as being unscriptural, deal with it immediately so that it does not become a stronghold when it was only a foothold before. Okay, these are the weapons and this is the way you wield the weapons. Okay, just like, you know, firearms, you know, I like firearms, you know, your, your pastor and his family like firearms, you have to learn how to use them. You can have one, but you, if, you know, if you don't know how to use it right, it's of no value to you. Okay, you have to learn how to use it, you don't have to learn how to aim it, you can fire a thousand rounds, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't hit the target. You have to learn how to shoot it, clean it, aim it, fire it, all those things, okay. The Bible is full of instructions about how to handle the weapons. It starts with controlling the mind, okay? And if you have a weakness in your life, that's where you need to start. Manage the weaknesses, okay? There's all kinds, man. There's sexual weaknesses. There's emotional weaknesses. There's financial weaknesses. There's all kinds of weaknesses that the devil will exploit 
against you if he knows he has a way in. If there's a chink in your armor, he's not stupid. He's not going to go after where he knows you're strong and got your defenses shored up. He's going to go after the areas where you don't have your defenses shored up. He'll keep coming after because you've proven that you can't handle it. So he's going to keep coming back to that area over and over. It's called chronic failure, chronic sin. It's the stuff we keep coming back for counseling for year after year after year. We never get control over it. I've counseled with people, and, you know, sometimes they come back, you know, same stuff a year later, two years later, and I'll say, didn't we just talk about this last year? Didn't you, weren't you in here talking about the same struggle? Yeah, well, have you made any progress? Are we still back at square one here? You know, if there's progress being made, okay, good, let's keep working towards the end result. But if it's the same as it was five years ago, ten years ago, man, you've got a problem here, and the problem is you. And until you address the problem and get serious about getting rid of it, our counseling sessions are a waste of your time and my time because you're not making any progress. You're not attacking the the high place to pull it down. Okay? In the Old Testament, and we don't have time for this, but in the Old Testament, there were many bad kings. There were just a few good kings, and there were just a fewer great kings. Okay? It's very interesting. Go back and study. I don't have time. I got references here, but we, we could be here until all afternoon, and we're not going to be. Good kings, or first of all, evil kings were all those that led Israel astray, and there were many of those, okay? The nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, you know, they, they forsook God, and the kings drove people away, worshipped idols. They were terrible kings, and the nation suffered for it. But every so often, a good king popped in there, okay? Every so often, Okay? Uh, there were uh, there was Jehoash, there was Asa, there was Solomon, there was Jehoshaphat. These were all good kings, okay, um, in the middle of a bunch of evil kings, okay. But if you study about the kings that were called good versus the kings that were called great, there's one difference, okay. And it will tell you, if you go back, I could give you the references later if you'd like, but every time it mentions this king, uh, served the Lord with all of his heart. He was a good king. It always says he never addressed the high places. He never addressed the high places. He let them stay there in the country. He did not pull them down. And so they were good, but they were not great. The great kings were the ones who did good and pulled down the high places. They were the great ones. And there were only two that I can find. Okay? There was Josiah and there was Hezekiah. They particular, in particular, pulled down the high places, and they were called great. The others were only called good. I don't want to be good. I want to be called great. I don't want to be just a member of the body of Christ. I want to be a member of the congregation of the mighty. There is a difference. I want to raise my game to a higher level. How about you? Because of what's at stake. Okay? Once again, your life is not a do-over. You can't go around and recover lost time. Hmm? You can't go around and recover, you know, today, tomorrow, today will be gone. And what you did today is history. You can't change it, okay? Make the most of the time, which then brings us to number three. We'll finish with this one this morning. Number one, manage your emotions. Number two, manage your weaknesses. And number three, manage your time. Manage the clock, okay? We are here in church. Church started at 10 o'clock. It is now 1127. We have spent... What, 87 minutes together so far. Time. Everything is managed by the clock. We have wristwatches. We have clocks on the wall. We have calendars. We have days, weeks, months, and years. We are time-bound. 
We live in a time-bound dimension, okay? But in the spirit world, there is no time. Satan is not wearing a Seiko, and God does not have a Rolex. There are no time parameters in the eternal world. In the spirit world, it's the eternal now. There is no past, and there is no future. It's just always now, okay? And we need to understand that because we are spirits living in bodies, okay? So we are spirits in a sense that we are timeless, but we are living in a flesh and blood body in a dimension that's bound by time. Everything takes time. So you have to manage your time because everybody has 24 hours each day. I don't have 26 and you have 22. You don't have 28 and I've got 21. That doesn't work that way. Everybody's got the same amount of time. What you choose to do with your time will determine whether or not you become a member of this congregation or not. Most Christians waste time. Waste it. Pursuing things of this world. Okay? I wrote a book on it. It's called Be Strong, Stay Strong. The whole book is, is devoted to this truth. Okay? So I don't need to go there. Just if you want more information about that, get the book. But the point is, manage the clock, my friends, because it takes time to pray. It takes time to read your Bible. It takes time to wait upon the Lord. The clock is always ticking, okay? And we need to manage the clock because the Bible says, do not be entangled with the affairs of this life. The affairs of this life are not sins. Well, there's actually two kinds, weights and sins. Sins are also a part of the affairs of this life, but the other is weights. And weights are not sins, but weights slow us down. Weights are time stealers. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, just this is an example, okay? We got to the hotel room at about, I don't know, 4 o'clock. Maybe Pastor picked us up at the airport in Omaha. We drove back to Norfolk, you know, and he dropped us off at the hotel, and we got in there and got checked in, got to the room. So I just sat down and uh, just, you know, for no particular reason, picked up the TV remote and turned it on. I don't usually do this. I usually keep that TV turned off for obvious reasons, for the reasons that I'm going to tell you about. But... There in front of me was the opening play of an Ohio State football game. I come from Ohio. I come from Cleveland. I follow Ohio State football. That's why. Because I come from that state. They've always been the team I root for when it comes to college football and whatever. Now, I don't normally watch this stuff. I I may look at the results occasionally, and if they're doing well, I feel good. If they don't, I feel bad. But my life doesn't revolve around this. But, you know, I just, you know, I I, I thought to myself, you know, and they were playing Army. And I, you know, army, I'm in it, I'm in it, you know, praise the Lord. So, okay, I'm going to just sit and watch this game. So I sat there for about two and a half hours in front of that television set, just watching four quarters of foot, meaningless activity in the grand scheme of spiritual things, meaningless activity. And there were over 109,000 people in that stadium watching meaningless activity, cheering and rooting and, you know, uh, faced half white and half red you know, with big letters on their chest, no shirt on, but big, you know, painted red and you know, white letters, all the, you know, all of the meaningless stuff, two and a half hours. And, you know, at the end of the day, who cares? Who cares? I guarantee nobody in heaven cares, and I guarantee nobody in hell cares. And that's where we're all going to go for eternity, you know. Now, is there anything wrong with football? No, if you keep it in proper perspective. Is there anything wrong with following your team? No, if you keep it in proper perspective. It can become a weight when you sit in front of TV sets or go to games and spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on tickets but don't have any money for the offering. 
or you spend hours and hours watching, you know, triple header football games and you're too tired to come to church the next day, you got a problem. Or when you're so upset that your team lost and you can't fellowship with people because you're ready to shoot somebody, you got a problem. You got a problem. Okay? This is Nebraska. I know. I see the flags. I see the red flags out front of everybody's house. I know what's going on over here. You know, go to Ohio, you'll see the same things in Ohio. Go to California, you'll see the same things out there, you know, with their teams. It's fine, as long as you keep it in perspective. But I sat there yesterday and just spent two and a half hours doing nothing spiritually for the Lord. Now, that's okay if you spent time in prayer, if you spent time reading your Bible, if you spent time doing these things and your sword is as sharp as it needs to be and you're prepared for service like tomorrow, okay, God will say, you know what, you want to sit down and watch the game? Enjoy the game. I'll sit with you. Okay, he doesn't care, but he doesn't mind if people do things as long as it doesn't become a time stealer away from the things that keep you sharp for God. You better understand priorities in life, and they have nothing to do with money, sports, education, politics, or any of this. Manage the clock. Amen? Amen. You know, the Bible says God will judge us according to our days. The Bible says in Psalms number 90, God will judge us according to the days we've lived. It says, number your days. Have you ever numbered your days? Have you ever figured out how many days you've lived on earth? It's, it's a very easy thing to do. I do it occasionally, not ever all the time, but once, once two or three times a year, I'll number the days just to see where I'm at, okay? Just to go 365 days times the years you've been here, okay, if you're 20 years old, 20 times 365 plus the time from January 1st to the day you're doing your calculation, and you'll figure out exactly how many days you've been here. The Bible says number your days because when we stand before the Lord, our life will be judged day by day. That's why he's told us to number our days, okay, to make every day count, hmm? every day. You know, when we say to somebody, how old are you? We, say, we answer in years. Well, I'm 20 years old. I'm 50 years old. I'm 42 years old. But that's not how God sees us. God sees our lives as a string of days, 365 times the number of days plus the days since January 1st until this day. That's the number of days you've been here. And that's how you're going to be judged. If you were to leave planet Earth today, that's how you would be judged. From the time you got saved, before that time, you know, those are empty days. But from the time you got born again and turned your life around to the day of your exit from planet Earth, those are the days that count. And those are the days that will be judged. And if you're unsaved, it will be from the time you got born again. I'm sorry, the time you got born to the time you die. And the point is, excuse me, we need to number our days. Amen? Amen. All right, let's all stand. Thank you, Jesus. Again, this is not going to be one of those twirling from the propellers, hanging from the chandeliers kind of message. But this is the kind of stuff that keeps the sword sharp. Amen. And I... For one, want to keep my sword sharp. How about you? And if it has become dull, you can sharpen it just by making a decision today to turn things around and become passionate for the things of God like we have talked about today. I want to become a member of the Congregation of the Mighty. How about you? Okay. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Here's the deal. 
I'm aware of the fact this is Sunday morning, and more than likely, most everybody in here is already saved. Most everybody, probably everybody. But there might be one or two here that are not, or you're not sure. Or there may be a bunch of people here that this message resonated with you. And I'm not your God. I'm not going to criticize you. It's between you and God. But things we said struck a chord in your heart, okay? And you need to make adjustments, okay? And we all need messages like this, okay? I just happen to be the messenger, but everybody needs this. We need to stretch. We need to be challenged. We need to be held to a higher standard than mediocrity, okay? So if you need to make adjustments today and start addressing things in your life that you know are out of order, that, you know, you've become lukewarm, you're really just kind of a Sunday morning believer, uh, you know, you blend in with everybody, there's something wrong there, okay? doesn't mean we become, you know, uh, purposely offensive to people, but, you know, we should be different. Our standards should be different. Our, our uh, criteria for what turns us on, what offends us, all that should be different than the world. And if it's not, then you need to make some adjustments. And now is, there's no better time than right now, okay? So I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, put your hand up if you know you need to make, to make some adjustments. Nobody's looking around, okay? Nobody's looking at you, so don't hesitate to put your hand up for fear of what somebody might think if they see your hand up. Don't do that, okay? God sees it, and I'll see it, but that's all. Nobody will be staring at you, so I'm not, and I'm not going to call you down to the front, so don't get nervous. I'm not going to embarrass you. But put your hand up if I'm talking to you. We're going to pray in a minute. And I want you to put that hand up to indicate, yep, I realize I've got some problems and I want to fix things today. Okay? One. Now, remember, it's, it's not a feeling. It's a decision. You're choosing to do something. Feelings come and feelings go. But this is a decision. And that is apart from feelings. Okay? One. Two. Three. Hand up if I'm talking to you. I'm looking around and most people have their hand up. Okay, you can put your hand down. Thank you. Bless you for your honesty. God bless you for that. Because you can't fool God. He knows what's going on, okay? So that hand up indicates you, you realize there are issues that uh, need to be addressed in your life. And I'm, I'm so pleased that you can see that and you have acknowledged it, okay? That's the first step. So let's make a confession of faith together, everybody. All right, now if you've never been born again, this is your confession to get into the body of Christ. If you are a member of the body of Christ, this is a confession to to uh, seal that deal and to reaffirm your first love and to come back to your first love, okay? Either way, it's applicable to everybody here, all right? With our heart, we believe. With our mouth, we confess. So don't just stand there listening to me and don't just stand there listening to others. You say this because it's for your benefit. It's for your benefit, okay? Thank you, Jesus. I'll, I'll speak. You follow. We're all talking to the Lord out loud, okay? All right, out loud, let's all say this together to Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning, and I make a choice. From this day forward, I live for you and you alone. I will no longer be lukewarm, but I will be passionate for the things of God. I'm sorry for my sins, for my lethargy, for my apathy. But I choose this day to turn my life around and to be usable and meet for the master's use. Thank you, Lord. Forgive me. I receive my forgiveness. And I'm not looking back. 
There's no condemnation. I accept my forgiveness. And I am moving forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. That's a good confession. And that's something God can work with in your life. Okay, if you said it and meant it, this is the best day of the rest of your life. Amen. September 17th, 2017, the best day of the rest of your life. Amen. Okay, have a seat for just a minute. If we were here for just one Sunday service, of course, we'd be praying for the sick. But because we have a multiple service format, we'll do that tonight. So I just want to mention a few things we brought, none of which you have seen before. And we've been here many times. So a lot of this, you know, you'd say, well, I've seen that before. Well, you haven't seen any of these. Okay, first, the CDs. Um, I talked about this with you last year, but we produced a, uh, is this a six or a, a seven? I think a six CD, six or seven CDs are in here. A lot of teaching called on a, on a topic called you can be who you are. You can be who you are. We talked about this last year. Okay. You can be who you already are. See, like we read from Psalms 82, God calls us gods, G-O-D-S, small g. That's how he sees us. Members of the congregation of the mighty need to know who they are or you'll never become who you already are. This will help you identify yourself and what you can be because of who you are. Not who you're going to be someday, but who you became when you got saved. I would really recommend this to you if you want to be a player and not just a Sunday morning spectator in somebody's church. The other one, very, very apropos for the days in which we live, it's called Managing Fear in the Last Days. Fear. Fear is driving this planet. There was just another terrorist attack. I saw it on the news last night or this morning. I don't know. You know, some uh, a couple of crazies, you know, blew up a bomb in London in the subway. And, you know, then there was someone in uh, some nut in Paris that, that sprayed some Americans with acid on their face this morning in Paris. This stuff is going on and it's never going to go away. It's going to get worse and worse. You need to know that fear drives the planet. It activates Satan and gives him place in people's lives. Faith is the opposite to this. And when you walk in faith, there is no fear that can cripple you or paralyze you through inactivity. Like the people who were supposed to go to the Philippines and had signed up to go and bailed out because they were afraid of what might happen to them if they went. Manage the fear. You know, we talk about managing things. Manage fear in your life in the last days. So I'd recommend those to you. And uh, any, any of these will be a blessing to you for years to come. And... A little idea we came up with and have executed this. A fundraiser that we've produced, if I can hold this up and hold the microphone at the same time. These are T-shirts that we produce. If you like to wear T-shirts, we have noticed over the years that people love to wear T-shirts. So we designed a shirt that speaks to our mission in life. It's a missionary shirt. It's a fundraiser. If you like to wear T-shirts and would like to buy one, it raises money to help us. Okay. It's on the front. It says, "My our ministry is at the top, and it says, I am, therefore I go. I'm a Christian, therefore I go into all the world. I make, a, I make an impact for Jesus. I'm not just a stand-around critic. I am somebody in Christ. I am a born-again believer. I am born again, blood-washed, blood-bought. We sing all the songs, okay, so I'm going to go somewhere. I'm going to do something for the Lord. And on the back, it's got our ministry logo and the words, go into all the world. And preach the gospel. So if you're interested in that, we've got all sizes for all shapes of brethren. 
out there. Praise the Lord. The thin ones, the wide-bodied brethren, the tall ones, the short ones, everybody, praise God, can buy one and wear it. And it's a good shirt. If you just take good care of it, it'll last you for many years and look good and look nice while you wear it. And it is a witnessing tool. Okay? Someone reads that and says, what's that all about? You can sit down and talk to them. Okay? By the way, one of the most effective ways to witness is just to ask somebody a simple question. Can I pray for you? You want to you witness? Don't, don't put any pressure on yourself to back people up against the wall with 110 verses. Just ask them, you know, is there anything in your life you'd like me to pray for? Just start there. You'd be amazed at the answers you get. Yeah, hard, hardened people, bikers with tattoos, they'll say, yeah, yeah, I need prayer. I've been pray-. you, you have no idea. Just a simple question. Can I pray for you? Would it would it, would would it be offended? I just feel in my heart that maybe God, you know, wants to work in your life. Is there anything I can pray with you about? And just leave it there. If they say no, well, then you're done. You can go on your way. If they say yes, well, then lay your hands on these people and pray. And then listen to what comes out their mouth. They'll start talking. I see it all the time. They'll start talking. Yeah, my, you know, my, please pray for my son. He's lost. He's, he, I've been standing in faith for him. And, you know, you pray for the son, then you pray for them. Then the next thing you know, you're talking about where to go to church, and it just it snowballs. You can be a player, just simple questions like, you know, can I pray for you? Something wrong? Knock on your neighbor's door. Hey, you know, can, I, I know you've been going through a tough time. Can I buy you a, gro- a sack of groceries? Uh, can I pray for you? Anything you can pray with me about? You know, just simple questions, and just it opens doors. It opens doors. Praise the Lord. Did this help anybody today? Again, thank you for what you do to help us. 4,800 souls are on their way to heaven instead of being on their way to hell as of this moment because you helped us go somewhere to talk to somebody about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Listen, get past yourself. The things you're going through, the problems you face, look beyond it all, see a bigger picture, and the things you're so concerned about today just kind of fall away. Just kind of take care of themselves. God knows how to do these things. Amen? All right. Praise God. We'll see you tonight. Pastor.